0: The Jewish holidays, are you ready? Welcome to One Throw at a Time, a player's perspective on the game that builds and breaks our hearts. My name is Johnny Malks, and I'm here with my co-conspirator and co-host
1: Rowan. Rowan, how are you doing? Doing good. Uh just the remnants of Hurricane I, I forget what the name was, Ian. came through and it's mm-hmm. been um a little bit wet and cool for the last couple of days and it looks like it's going to continue to be so for another day or two so the the silver lining is that it may have brought fall upon us it's been really nice to have like somewhat cool mornings and practices and and evenings but yeah it's been it's been a little bit wet here for quite some time
0: yeah definitely and that's something that um i've been thinking about in terms of like I actually enjoy the rain, uh, and it's one of my favorite types of weather. Forty-five and rainy is my favorite type of weather. People think I'm really weird for that. We talked about that uh, in a previous episode. So I've really been enjoying these days, but also have been following kind of the the destruction that Ian's um, wreaked upon uh, our our friends in Florida and uh, sort of down the East Coast. So we wanna we're sending our hearts out to them, and um, we'll talk a little bit later about playing in the rain, but just wanted to, to start out with kind of that sobering note. And um, in terms of what's up uh, this week for us, we had our team retreat with Truck Stop this past weekend, um, and we faced a lot of rainy conditions uh, on account of kind of that excess rain from the hurricane. But before we get into that, Rowan, do you want to give us an update on the European Championships, which I believe were also this past weekend?
1: Yeah, yeah. There's calm before the storm here in the U S everybody's getting ready for nationals, but it was a big weekend over in Italy where European championships were held it's been a busy calendar year for the Europeans. They've been going pretty hard. It's world's year. So it's a big tournament. I think a lot of uh, all the best teams were there and yeah, just to shout out some of uh, the winners, Ron Alley out of, um, Ireland upset Clapham. I don't know if it's an upset, but I just, you know, I know it's a really good team, but you'd love to see it. 15 to 14. I went back and watched the universe point there for some excitement. And our other friend, Ben Ort, hopefully our teammate next year, um, was also in the finals in the mixed division where Groot took down reading on universe as well so went back and watched that universe point so that's wow. how i like to consume games now i i don't watch like the full ultimate game sometimes i'll just kind of fast forward and watch points but uh you got to catch a universe point point, especially in such a major tournament uh in the women's side the hometown team i believe cusp won the championship hometown is i know they're an Italian team, not sure what city they're out of, but, uh, yeah, they got the championship over Yaka from France. So shout out to all the winners and yeah, y'all can rest now out in Europe. It's been a busy year. Uh, time for indoor is what I've heard. So.
0: Yeah. Except, you know, who's not resting our friend Nada, who was on the CUS team that won and she's coming back and we'll be playing with scandal at nationals in the U S so busy, busy schedule for, for all the, uh folks who are doing that but i'm not sure there were that many at the at euros but yeah congrats to all the winners um rowan how do you feel about playing and practicing in the rain do you have any special things that you like to do any special tips any way that you kind of hype yourself up those early morning practices that are cold and wet or is it all the same kind of preparation for you
1: i would say it's like a little bit more kind of going into it of like ooh like if you're biking or you're riding. It's just like a little bit harder. The transportation, packing extra layers, all that stuff is a little bit stressful to me. But I'd say once you get there and move around and you warm up, the ultimate itself is is more or less the same. There are some tricks and tips that you know I would be happy to share here, and I will. But um yeah, in terms of the general like mindset or the, the mentality, it's really just you know, once you're there it's wonderful, but it can be a little bit daunting to be like, oof, I got to pick myself up, not only for a rainy practice, but a critical practice because we only have four or five before nationals. So we had a double rain this weekend. And yeah, just in terms of practical tips, if you're out there and you want to be a little bit better in in tough conditions, uh, the first thing to remember is that The majority of the sport is the same. The principles apply, you know, trying to keep possession of the disc and whether that looks like shorter passes, you know, trying to figure out how to get some inside breaks out of it. You know, the big loopy rounds can be hard, especially if there's any wins. You just don't have quite the same amount of control on a disc, especially the forehand. I'd say work the inside breaks, keep the passes nice and short. But you know you gotta take your shots when they're there. Uh, but yeah, nothing nothing too much that that jumps out to me. Just maintain, just maintain the mentality, and uh, yeah, don't don't worry about the conditions too much. But you yeah. got you got any tips for people you know packing or being prepared in the rain? Because I think half the battle is you know being prepared, so you are confident and you have the uncontrollables like you've checked off a bunch of them.
0: Yeah, I think that uh, in terms of packing, what I like to do is have layers. So you're not just relying on one sweater or one sweatshirt to keep you warm throughout the whole thing. Because especially if it's getting cold and you're getting soaked, it can be really nice to like take off a layer and have some drier ones underneath or have one in your bag that's dry and throw it on at practice. Um, In the middle can be really revitalizing. Also, I love like If you have access to it like a raincoat or something is great whether that's just to cover up your bag or yourself you can also use a plastic bag to cover up your bag i guess or yourself i've seen that sometimes people just poking holes in it in a trash bag that's pretty dire circumstances one packing thing rowan that i uh that i i kind of uh wanted to pick your brain about is i always pack gloves in my bag and i threw them on at, at points this uh weekend because it was particularly wet um, but I find that I can't really like throw as precise of hucks with them necessarily, but I couldn't do that anyway. When it, when the disc is so wet, um, what are your thoughts on gloves wearing them versus not wearing them? And also, um, if you're not wearing them, how to accommodate for the little bit of slip that will naturally come into your grip when you're trying to throw without gloves in the rain.
1: Yeah. I usually, um, to deal with like, not throwing with gloves, which is mostly what I'll do is, I mean, first thing you got to scale back uh, the distance. You're not going to be able to throw it as as far with the rain. Second, the inside out's a little bit difficult because they can, you know, tend to slip out early and go low right for a right-handed player. So I usually will just try to add a few extra degrees of, you know, outside into the disc and the edge. So you can get an extra margin of error because it's going to helix back uh so yeah my big power like inside out hooks that kind of turn naturally and and ride out I don't throw those uh and if I can get an outside into space I'll I'll take that in terms of like would I wear the gloves I don't own gloves right now but I think if it was really wet and crazy I would ask to borrow some from probably Andrew who seems to have a lot of pairs I know there's a lot of uh cut Ultimate uh gloves at practice last weekend. I know Tyler was showing off uh cut rule sign quite a bit. (laughs) But for me, mostly no gloves. If it's really necessary, I'll just ask a teammate. Anybody got an extra pair? What about you?
0: Yeah, I'm pretty much the same way. It has to be like particularly wet for me to wear gloves. Um, but I do I do really appreciate them when it is extremely wet because At that point, like you're not really thinking about, like you said, throwing your full power anyway. So that's where I find the most mistakes come for me. And I just think that when it's really pouring, gloves do a nice job of providing um, a similar feel and texture to the disc as when it's dry. I don't really like wearing gloves when it's dry because then they're extra grippy. But when the disc is a little slick, it actually feels more like it usually does in my bare hand. So it's kind of like balancing it out to that point. And I think especially on the shorter throws that you want to be throwing in the rain to keep that execution high. Um, Gloves really helped me out this weekend, at least because um, whether you're catching a low throw that's coming in really hot, gloves can be nice um, to prevent that slip. And it can also be good to get that extra control on the disc when you're throwing those short um, insides and arounds and, and break throws and all that good stuff. So I definitely appreciate gloves as a tool. But, for me personally, I don't wear them all the time. I know some people who swear by them, but I just I really like yeah. some, having some as people few swear by them possible. some people
1: swear by them, but some people also swear against them. You know you have that you know there's definitely a sentiment in in the ultimate community that some people are really anti gloves. I don't know if that's more for fashion or for function, but there's some loud voices that are you know, I will never wear gloves, but have you heard that? What are your thoughts about those those um people on the other side?
0: Yeah, I think it's probably a mixture of like people wanting to be like earthy. It's like a weird mix in ultimate. I think with a lot of things where it's like this very fine line between earthiness and macho. You know, yeah, so it's yeah. Like, try to I'm be not, cool. I, yeah. yeah, like I don't need accessories to play my game. And then I think on the other side of it, it's like. There's a lot of players who are like I like feeling more connected to the ground. I just like feeling more connected to my body, and if I'm wearing gloves, it's like an extra layer against um, that kind of that connection. Yeah, with and some so. people
1: do also like you said earlier. Some people don't love the feel of the forehand with gloves, even in the rain. So, yeah, I'd say those are the minority and the people that think they're so cool. Um, <laughs> which maybe I would put myself into that box. I would say most of the people are are. It's because. They think they're above the gloves.
0: So. <laughs> above the gloves. Um, and yeah, I would say like maybe half our team was above the gloves or a little bit more this weekend. Um, but yeah, let's talk about this weekend. So we had 8 a.m. to 11 a.m. practice on Saturday. And then after that, um, we hung out at a teammate's house all day. There were a lot of board games being played. Our teammate, Andrew Roy, who owns all the gloves, also owns all the board games pretty sure he set up at a table in um, David Cranston's living room and was there playing multiple board games, probably for about nine or 10 hours straight. It was incredible. Uh, It was an incredible feat of endurance and big shout out to him. And then people would kind of come in and out uh, of A-Roy's game table. There was also some darts downstairs, some switch going on. Um, And then at the end of the night, we finished it off with some team-wide hot seat, which was, of course, always the highlight. Um, Rowan, what were were your takes on the day? And uh, also some takes on team retreats in general. I know originally we were going to go
1: camping. Yeah, Um, I was going to say we were going to go camping, but um, one thing that the hurricane did kind of bring in, we were talking about rain for a while, is kind of shut down our overnight camping aspirations. So our team retreat historically is about an hour or two hours outside of D.C. And we'll just go out there and just try to really um, yeah, come together as a team. It's a great time to just like some non-on-the-field stuff. We will practice, usually a double practice Saturday, Sunday, and, and sleep over somewhere. Unfortunately, yeah, the, the hurricane kind of nixed those plants. So David Cranston was gracious and let us pretty much do the team retreat at his house so yeah we got there i missed the lunch after practice but got to the house and i first thing i did see was the the board game action but it was great it was i think worked out way better than most people had anticipated we had a great turnout of percentage of the the team and yeah i found myself i did a couple of board games and then moved downstairs. Played some darts. There's some singles and doubles going on. All in all, I think it was a successful outing. The Hot seat was fun. We were thinking about doing some live live recording or some uh, <laughs> voice recording, but out of respect to the team, of course, we won't let those discussions, you know, leave that room. But it was really cool just to hear. Uh, the best part about hot seat is just get a couple of minutes to really hear about teammates that you really don't know too well and to hear about parts of their life that normally aren't talked about so connected with about 20 of our teammates i would say most of them down there and mm-hmm. yeah good day good day and yeah retreats in general i'll let you kind of take that one just because i've only been a part of Chuck stops retreat and i've loved them i think they're critical i think all teams should do them and i know a lot do uh, have you been on any other you know club teams that do the retreat if so what do they look like? Cause I just, I don't know what lies outside of, of truck.
0: Yeah, that's a good question. Um, we did, uh, a little, a couple little retreats for space heater, which were fun. Um, they mostly looked like what we did at, at Cranston's rather than going away and camping. It was more just like hanging out, um, and just trying to form connections with teammates, which I mean, it's always talked about in terms of like the differences between club and college and, um, these sorts of things, it's 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 a lot harder to form, I feel like, genuine vulnerable connections with teammates during club because everyone's, especially in elite club, always focused on kind of that final goal of nationals and achieving whatever um, a team sets out to achieve uh, results-wise and process-wise in terms of on the field and like gameplay-based metrics. Um, but I think that one thing that gets kind of swept under the the rug sometimes is how much knowing one another and being invested in one another's well-being can add to and contribute to the achieve the achievement of um, some of those goals so I think that the team retreat is vital and I think that ours did a really good job of putting us together for a while not having to like worry about games the next day or whatever like we would at a tournament and I think that, especially with hot seat, the best thing about it, for those who don't know exactly what it is, it's just like you put like three to five minutes on the clock and anyone in the room can ask you any question that you're encouraged to answer as truthfully as possible. And, um, it just provides a space for, I mean, there's obviously sillier questions or, um, like random questions, but I think my favorite thing about it is it provides a space for a team to have vulnerable conversations um with one another and with the entire group that are sanctioned by that kind of game and that moment um which i don't think like it might be weird otherwise like when you're on the road in a car to a tournament or like in a hotel the, the night before a tournament to ask yeah and then with more people questions. there and
1: more people buying in it just like encourages you know i don't know yeah it's not just it encourages everybody to just kind of open up a little bit but um if, yeah if, uh If you're out there listening and you have had a great or successful team retreat, let us know what y'all did for your team. Because again, we would love to know a little bit more about teams across the country and across the world. And yeah, what retreat would you recommend for for most other teams? Send it in to one pod at gmail.com.
0: Definitely. Um, And then just one last note on that before we move on. I've talked about co-regulation on the show before, which is like, Uh, touching someone and having that like help them through a particularly anxious or stressful time. And I think that that can help a lot in ultimate. And I think that having those types of conversations, getting close to one another can turn uh, just like a pat on the back or um, a high five even into a more um, soothing experience because you're feeling that person's energy. You're feeling that they care for you and those kinds of relationships are really important. So yeah, I would love to hear like Ron said about Anything that you all do to build those relationships with your club teams or college teams, um, send it in uh, to O-N-E-T-H-R-O-W-P-O-D at Gmail.com. All right, Rowan. So for this week's iteration of our little game reflection time on the podcast, I wanted to shout out the Jewish high holidays that are happening currently. We had Rosh Hashanah, the Jewish New Year, um, about a week and a half ago, and now we are going to um, actually, the day that this podcast will come out, Wednesday, is right in the middle of Yom Kippur, which is um, the time of atonement for the Jewish people. Um, And I'm Jewish, so I'll be celebrating this with my family, and I just wanted to kind of bring you in. Here some ultimate thoughts related to these two moments on the lunar calendar, And, um, also just help our listeners reflect on their own experiences. So we're going to start out with ultimate Yom Kippur, uh, and we're going to talk about, uh, we're going to have two kind of sharing sessions, two lists for this. One is going to be for us as an individual and the other is going to be for ultimate at large. And we're going to talk about how over the past year, over the past, uh, since last October, what kind of habits or moments, uh, we wish we could have had back, Or changed, or like another shot at, um, essentially things that we could improve upon. um, Because Yom Kippur is all about sitting with your thoughts, reflecting on what you could do better, and um, striving for those moments. So I will start um, with my individual list, and then we'll go to you as an individual, and then we can talk about the community at large. So for me as an individual, Um, I would like, I would like to have thought a lot more and been more intentional about sleep, nutrition, and logistics as an element of tournament prep. Um, so I think that a lot of the time we, well, at least for me growing up, like tournaments were taken for granted. It's like, oh yeah, there's a tournament this weekend. I'm just going to roll up and play my best and like, we'll see how it, how it uh, turns out. And in college, I started to realize like, wow, there's a lot more to this than just, uh, practicing in the weeks before and like doing my best to prepare on the field um, in the weeks before to make sure that I give my, myself the best shot at that flow state and the best experience possible at the tournament. And I think that sleep, nutrition, and planning out these logistics, especially in club when they're not planned for you, is such an important element of tournament prep that I let fall by the wayside. If you're not getting enough sleep, if you're eating pizza or other sinful foods in the week leading up to a tournament, Um, and if you're not on top of your logistics, like maybe you schedule a flight, like really getting in really late the night before a tournament and it gets canceled. And then you have the whole next day, um, that you kind of have to get there. And then you only have one or two days left of the tournament. Like all of these things can really throw off, um, your, uh, your play. And so I think that for me moving forward, I'd like to be a lot more intentional about those sorts of things. I've already made plans to do that. My kind of pre-nationals resolution is to get um, at least eight and a half hours of sleep a night. I'll try to eat well. And of course, I have my flight scheduled for the Tuesday so that if there's any buffer time, we have a whole nother day before the tournament starts on the Thursday of that week coming up. Um, uh, Some other stuff uh, that I'd like to have back or change is um, a lack of belief in myself due to circumstantial mistakes. So sometimes there'll be inevitable miscommunications or I'll throw a bad throw or whatever. These things, um, humans can never be perfect, of course. Um, and I think that sometimes I let that affect my confidence throughout the course of a game or a tournament. And I think the best players, um, and the best teams are made up of players who are able to have those short memories, um, and come back out on the field, um, Going out there to play their best game, play and flow, and it's a lot easier said than done. But I'm striving for it. Some other things are using my throws to compensate for feeling tired. So sometimes when you're right on the verge of scoring, um, you'll want to force something into the end zone, um, maybe a scuba or maybe something right at the cone to someone who's covered, and making sure that you are prepared, both conditioning-wise and mentally, to take that swing, lose some yards, grind out um, as many more throws as it takes to find an open side in the end zone. Um playing between the weak side and strong side is really important. And the last thing is allowing my anger to influence my on-field decision making sometimes. So I think that um sometimes external factors like what an observer says, what a ref says, um what the other team is doing, sometimes the weather, sometimes the score, these things can make me really angry. And I can let that anger seep into how I'm approaching the game. So like maybe I'll have power position and the adrenaline kicks in and I throw a huck to no one because the the cutter I was looking at cut back. Um, And these sorts of things can be really detrimental to team performance, especially when the margins are small. I believe it was Yoda that said fear leads to anger, anger leads to hate, and hate leads to suffering. And I don't want to suffer anymore this year. Rowan, how about you?
1: Yeah, good list, good list there. And I'll also be joining you Tuesday at San Diego a little bit early, so I can also relax. And that tournament prep you are talking about is super important. Last year, just I remember I had to cover an aftercare ultimate program on Wednesday, so I couldn't get out to nationals until like Wednesday night at midnight. Then you're playing like three of the most competitive games in the world within 12 hours. So yeah, absolutely, can definitely relate there. And it sounds like you have a good grasp on kind of uh, learning from that and, and taking it to the next level. Um, I, I have a, a couple, they're not as on-field specific. One for me is uh, just not over um, overdoing Weekends or parts of the season that are really important, uh, with like too much extracurricular activities and like, which for me is kind of work. I, you know, do a lot of youth ultimate camps, clinics, and leagues and teams. So for me, that just kind of builds stress where sometimes like I have to run in and out of practice. Sometimes I have to be on my phone during practice. Sometimes I have to miss practice. But uh, you know, in a, in a perfect world for me, maybe I just dial that other side back or get some more help there where I don't have to be in two places at the same time. It's very hard to play peak, very hard to peak athletically or for your performance if that's going on. So I'm currently in the process of really getting Nationals Week super clean and I won't have to be you know, doing much, which is great. But yeah, that's just something that I, looking back, I could probably do for a little bit of change. And and my other one is kind of on the same line where during this ultimate season, which can be so long, you know, the pro season and the club season, especially combined, there isn't a ton of free weekends or time. And it's hard to connect like outside, like outside the team, which, you know, I love connecting with the team. And our team's been amazing this year, both of them. But whether that's like family or people you don't get to see much, uh, that balance is is always hard. But I felt like for the past year, I've been really focused back on Ultimate because I was coming back from my injuries and like ramping back up as a player. So maybe next year or this upcoming year, I'll try to balance out a little bit more of the the non-ultimate people and portions of my life so those are my two takeaways for the past calendar year pretty happy with the on the field stuff and you know, look forward to always improving which is one of my favorite parts of being an athlete and being an ultimate is growing learning and improving
0: yeah i think that those are great ones and i think that Finding that balance in your life outside of Ultimate can actually contribute greatly to the performance on the field. So, only up from here. Um, now, for Ultimate at large, I think that a couple things that we could improve on as a community, as a game, um, are inclusivity as lip service rather than tangible action. Um, so, we've kind of danced around this point in podcasts before this, um, but I think that we talk so much about being equitable. Um, both in terms of gender equity and um, racial equity, uh, making sure that BIPOC folks and, and folks who are underrepresented in, in the game uh, be elevated. And I think that we've done a decent job um, of, of making sure that they're elevated at the highest levels to date. But I think that especially at the youth level, um, these types of communities are still very underrepresented both in terms of gender and racial equity. Um, I think that the wealthiest areas are still the ones that have the biggest youth ultimate hubs. Um, and I think that this contributes to certainly whiteness in, in our sport, but also even in my area, like we could barely field a, a one women's YCC team. So I think that there is a lot of work to be done in both. And I think that what is key to improving this is providing, even if it's just meager, but just a few discs, a few cones, resources to communities that might not otherwise have them. And also, if you desire to be an ambassador of the sport and an ambassador of that um, ethos of inclusivity, then go donate your time, Um, coach sections uh, of the sport, especially in youth. Um, and demographics that don't otherwise uh, get uplifted as much as you think they need to be. Um, a few other things in ultimate are: I think that we are still very clicky game. There's a lot of groups that feel um, pretty exclusive, and I think that the more we can welcome folks into our groups, into our friend groups, the better. Especially those who are already in the game and looking looking for friends. And then the last thing is: I think we should prioritize um, putting our heart and soul into our craft rather than acting cool. I've said this before on the show, there's an epidemic of coolness in ultimate people care a lot more about their spikes, their celebrations than they do, uh, kind of putting the time in and, and making sure that, um, they are able to put the disc into the end zone, you know? Um, and I think that it is historically, at least in my experience, I've been treated sometimes a little bit more like a nerd for like trying hard, like trying my hardest at all these endeavors, uh, ultimate specific or otherwise. And I think that we can't can't be afraid of being tryhards as the term goes. I think tryhards are my favorite kinds of people. So don't be afraid to put your heart and soul into your craft, into the game, if it's what you love. Rowan, on to you.
1: Yeah, that's good. I mean, that's been one of my messages for pretty much the entire duration of my career. You know, yeah, I appreciate the craft, value it and and develop it. Yeah, I think coming up in DC, like it was feel like it was right on the edge of where things were changing and people were really dedicating their lives, you know, their hobby to ultimate, I guess. So I, for me, day one, I was like going to Try my hardest and make a career out of it. But then everybody was like, Oh no, don't do that. Like, I guess the message I got explicitly or implicitly was like, don't burn other people out on this, like, you're going all in on ultimate. So, and that's still like manifests today where I do most of my training and my my work pretty much alone. And I have my pockets of people that I train with like one on one here. Like me and Tyler, I've done a lot of stuff we've worked out together. Me and AJ have done things, but a lot of my like training is just by myself because like my first couple of years, I was always like, whoa, like don't overdo ultimate. Like you can't talk about ultimate between November and February. And, you know, I'm excited though. At least now it's really changed. And everybody on the top ultimate teams that I play with reason truck are training and are trying really hard. So, I'm glad it's got here, but I agree. I think that sentiment's still out there. So, yeah, I think the one I'll add to it is I feel like sometimes, maybe just because this is the subset of the community I'm in, but like el- the competitive or elite ultimate in, in the US is like they think that they kind of are in charge of the state or status of the ultimate worldwide at any level, where I feel like we might be less than 1% of the ultimate population. There's rec leagues, there's pickup, which is a huge part of the ultimate sport. There's you know international ultimate, which is like a huge part. But for some reasons, like the elite US ultimate thinks that what they're up to is what the worldwide ultimate sphere should be up to. Um, there's like one specific example, I guess, would be kind of spirit of the game and one time I was captain or I was spirit captain for Warau, which is out of Venezuela and you know I just we were working with them all week and they were just so high on like spirit means so so much to them and that's their focus that's their goal and then like whenever we play all the U.S. teams like we would get like four or five on our spirit scores out of 20 and it's just like you know, USA gets to pick what good spirit is, I guess. It's kind of felt like that for a little bit. There's more to ultimate than just like just the best players in the USA.
0: Yeah, I guess the important thing there is just making sure that every day, whether it's ultimate or otherwise, we're doing our best to expand our view out from ourselves as much as possible, right? Because I think that we're we're the hero of our own stories, of course. And so if you're playing elite ultimate in the us and you're thinking oh this is the pinnacle of everything you might not have a uh, a perspective outside it and i think um i've definitely like been there at times when i've been striving to get to to this level and i think that that's a really important point in terms of making sure that you are uh not only treating all people with respect but uh, making sure that you're treating their experiences and where they've come from um, and where they're going with respect, too. So, that is a great point. Rowan, on to the sweeter side of this hypothetical, of this game, of this reflection session. We're going to move on to the Rosh Hashanah portion, which means head of the year and is the time when Jews like myself eat apples and honey and put honey on everything. And it's very good, very sweet. And it's to have a sweet start to the year. Um, and so in the, in the uh, spirit of sweetness and joy, um, let's talk about both for personally and uh, for ultimate at large, the sweetness and joy that we find in ultimate and especially for the ultimate community at large. Let's talk about um, how we can carry that sweetness and joy forward together. So for me a couple joys that I find particular about ultimate and have been a large part of my life over the past year is the way that playing ultimate helps me shut off other more anxious parts of my brain and just lets me flow at times right so i think that i'm i'm in general a more Uh, I I can get in my head a lot and I do a lot of thinking. And sometimes that thinking is circular. Um, And I think that that helps me prepare for the game of ultimate and helps me be just a prepared person in life. But it also inspires a lot of anxiety. And I think that one of the things that ultimate helps me do is completely calm down and be in touch with my body Uh, and have it feel all more like one ecosystem. And that's something that I really appreciate, especially in really intense moments in the game when if you let your focus drift for a little bit, you could uh, end up on the wrong side of um, whatever situation you're in. So I really appreciate that kind of focus that I'm able to achieve while playing. Um, uh, Ultimate has also afforded me the honor of the presence of such wonderful teammates. Um, within the the context of hot seat, like we were talking about before, uh, I was asked who I would be friends with if I didn't play ultimate. And I mentioned a few names, but honestly, in my heart, uh, I think people would have called BS on this if i had shared it, actually. But uh, I, while I might not naturally have been f- friends with everyone on the team, if I hadn't played ultimate, I like have found something in each and every one of my truck stop teammates and breeze teammates that I'd love to um emulate and kind of try to grow within myself as a part of uh that ecosystem that I mentioned before. So, love my teammates and I think that uh ultimate attracts a very specific type of people or maybe a few different types and I've found that I can learn from each and every one of them so I'm very very grateful uh for that. Uh what about you?
1: Yeah, just more kind of on the the team side as well. I think just like a really good team culture um is Really good for the souls. And I just, I want every team at every level and every location just to have a good team culture. It's just, I think it definitely stems from, a, it's not just the captains or the coach. Or, there's a few different portions, which I think makes up a good team culture. And we're fortunate to be on a really good one right now. But yeah, like captains and coaches definitely have a lot of, you know, they can scope it and shape it. So if, if you're in one of those positions as like a leader, don't just think of how you can be like the best team team, like really focus on developing a good team culture because the better the culture is, the more people buy in, the more people kind of train outside, the more people want to be better. And you get like a lot of extra freebies that don't come with like a toxic culture where, you know, People don't want to show up. People don't want to work hard. People don't want to buy into the system. So that's huge. Also, like, you're kind of veterans that are either talented or they've been there for a while. They get, like, some extra pull. So having, making sure, like, you're not the, we use, we endearingly refer to them as the grumps uh, on, on truck stop and the breeze. So make sure you're just, like, a friendly grump and, a, you know, not like, oh, five years ago like we did this that and it worked so much better so and then the last part of the team is just everybody I think some teams have players that don't feel like they should or can contribute because they're rookies or they're young or they might not be as as good on the field but even if you're not playing many points you can still bring a lot to the table so that's where I feel like uh, truck stop is right now and we just have a remarkable team culture and that just makes it more exciting and i think that's one of the reasons why we're, we're playing pretty good ultimate right now and yeah i just would recommend that if you're out there work on your team culture first and then figure out how to get the results you want uh second
0: yeah that's a great point especially because i think even It has a a large benefit to the individual because if you have a great team culture and your team's posting in the workout slack a lot or um, just encouraging you in general, it's a lot more motivating than playing on one with perhaps a little bit poorer of a culture, one that you're not as motivated to train yourself for. Um, And then last but but not least, uh, finding sweetness and joy for ultimate at large, especially what we can do to um, strive. Uh, for those uh, values moving forward. I think that we can strive to be ambassadors for our sport. I said it earlier, um, but like we can give supplies, we can give time to um, these portions of our communities that we want to see represented more instead of just saying so. Uh, And I think that that would bring um, not only fulfillment to individuals who do decide to strive um, for those moments of engagement, but we'll also have that joy multiplied um, amongst the folks that they're helping. Um, additionally, I think that just as a general note, courage is in much shorter supply these days than genius. In fact, I think that like genius and expertise can sometimes be a little bit overblown because everyone has uh, a lot to learn. Always, I think, uh, and I think that having that courage um, to create joy, uh, or or maybe to to say it a bit a bit better that potential energy for joy for others that might turn kinetic at any moment. So putting this kind of potential energy of joy out into the world through your actions um, within or without the ultimate community is kind of one of our superpowers as people and ultimate players. I think putting that uh, potential energy of joy out into the world, building it up um, and seeing uh, what it does, I think could be a very fulfilling mission um, for us here on the pod and for all of our listeners. Rowan, what about you?
1: Yeah, no, I think you summed it up quite beautifully there. Nothing uh, extra to add, but yeah, let's keep moving forward.
0: All right, Rowan, let's move on to some listener questions. Um, and we got a couple this week from Kyle Rubin, um, who is a fellow player. Um, who says he's really enjoying the podcast. So thank you, Kyle. A couple of questions for us here. Um, generally, how do we design an offensive system for a high-level team, club or pro? He says, DC seems to have a specific type of offensive system that we've developed over the years. Was this system designed first and then committed to, or was it something that was produced from the collective talent available? Do you want to take that answer?
1: Yeah, yeah, I'll dive in and definitely have you uh go after because I think I said it before, but um, I think it was the last almost two years ago. Now I called like uh, I called up you and I called up Gus back to back, and was like, hey, we we want you on on the breeze because you're both really good, and also we kind of want that William and Mary uh, offensive principles. I'll call it system wise. I don't think an offensive system is really that important. I think. Principles and chemistry and buy-in are what you're looking for. Uh big architectural systems, like they sound good and they look good on a whiteboard, but in a game there's just so much going on that you gotta rely on kind of instincts and you know principles. So, you know, ours is pretty obvious. We like to move the disc, we like to keep possession, and you know, we don't like to throw the big 50-50 hook. And I think, yeah, that's part of like, it's all of our strengths, but it's also, I think, like optimal, right? I think that teams are too good. D-lines are too good. If, if they get the disc, they're going to score. So you really got to limit the times that you just give the, the disc away for free. The D-line gets a great block, you know, tip your cap. There's going to be a, maybe an execution error or two. Uh, we'll live with that. But I think on a high-tempo, possession-based offense, I think that it's kind of optimal Due to the fact that I think it's easier to score an ultimate, I think the the rules and the game is is an offensive like centric rule set. So I think you get ten set like you get so much time. You know, there's just so much opportunity for an offense. But yeah, I wouldn't say the system's too important. Just make sure you're on the same page. Get some principles, and then maybe you can talk through a couple of sticky spots. Whether that's sideline resets come to mind or priorities around the end zone but for the most part it's flow and and talent more so than like a big scripted system uh yeah johnny do you want to fill in any of the gaps since you know we did kind of take your system so to speak or william and mary principles
0: yeah i mean i think you you said pretty much uh the the a similar answer to what i would give um i think last week, we joked about like, just get a couple average guys who can throw resets and you'll, you'll win most games. But I mean, it actually is pretty true. I think that people always talk about like the next level for ultimate, um, whether that is like getting more like quote unquote, real athletes engaged or what, what have you. But I, I do think that most teams could take a major step forward with just their rate of possessing the disc on offensive points. And um, one of the ways that I like to think about it in like a faux statistically relevant way is like it's money ball, right? So one of my favorite quotes from the dramatization of that book um, is like, we don't care about how they look when they're hitting or we don't care about like how strong they are or whatever. We just care about how much they can get on base, you know? And so I think that that goes into my philosophy a lot, which is, um, a decision to reset the disc or a decision to throw a swing or a decision to play with high tempo is never going to be the wrong decision, but uh, a Huck can oftentimes be the wrong decision. So that's just what I would add. And I do think to Kyle's question, it was, the dc oriented uh system uh per se was definitely something that was kind of sprung organically out of the talent that we had available um mixed with helpful nudging from um our coaches who are geniuses and who do help us a lot with uh timing of our cuts and the shapes of our cuts but um all in all kind of the the ethos of our offense i think has been there since day 1 based on the kind of players that we are all right next question Rowan, club nationals, bracket play, you win the flip. What are you choosing? O, D, side, or color? Not sure why color was included. Okay, if color is choosing- the most
1: important flip, especially especially for these college season in the fall once it gets cold. You don't want to be white. You want your nice <laughs> color uh, jacket on. But I think uh, club nationals, I'd probably take offense unless the wind was maybe 15-15. Maybe twelve to fifteen miles an hour in one direction, and then there's a chance that it's an upwind, downwind type of ultimate game. So those are pretty much my metrics: take offense, unless I don't know, pick a number, twelve mile per hour winds going in one direction, uh, and yeah, I think I would just do that because that's optimal, and I try to play optimally. Uh, it'd be interesting to hear other top coaches or people that actually have to make that decision, make the call. <laughs> I never know what's going on, but Johnny, you, uh, what's your take?
0: Yep, I'm exactly the same. Pretty much picking O every time. Um it's just like again, if every, if if it's all holds, which I know it usually isn't, but sometimes can be, then the team that chooses O will win. It's kind of like a half break at the start of the game there. So pretty much always choosing o unless like you said the wind is crazy and then Kyle had one last question uh which was of course the most important question of the series he says as he prepares a little homemade hollow toast for breakfast he needs to know how many eggs do i put in my hollow when i bake it and Kyle the answer is i use 4 eggs uh for the 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 dough and then i use another egg for the egg wash on top to make it shiny and A really nice tip is you don't want to overdo it on the egg wash because if you overdo it and it spills down the sides and pools at the bottom of the pan, it's going to burn. The the egg is going to burn on the underside of the challah and make it look like you overcooked it, even if you cooked it perfectly. So make sure you're being judicious with your egg wash. And if it starts to pool on the pan, dab that up with a paper towel. You're going to get a lot better results. (laughs) All right, Rowan. So that is it for us today. I do want to say that if you are enjoying the show, we've asked for ratings on the podcast app in the past. That's totally good. Another thing that we're going to start asking for is just tell one friend about the show if you're enjoying it. Maybe they're an ultimate player. Maybe they're just someone who likes listening to two guys with long hair. Talk about ultimate Whatever word of mouth is kind of the best way for us to um, market the show, advertise the show. We don't do it any other way. So if you're enjoying it, share it with a friend or a family member. We would really appreciate it. Otherwise, please keep sending in your questions. We love answering them. Um, the email is one throw at gmail.com O N E t h r o w p o d at gmail.com and in addition to questions we also love hearing feedback any kind of topics or ideas you have for the show maybe a game they don't always have to be my games they can be your games too so we are looking forward to hearing from you and we will get back to you uh, on everything that you send us so uh rowan where can people find you on the internet
1: Uh, yeah. Instagram's good. Rowan McDonald, my personal account. You can also check out Excel ultimate. If you want to dive into a little more technical training and always YouTube as well. Rowan McDonald.
0: Yeah. And I am Darth Malks on Instagram and Johnny Malks on YouTube. We'll see you next time.